If you are visiting with us this morning, we are so thrilled you're here. If you're watching online, we're so thrilled that you have taken the time to study with us this morning. I'd like to invite all of you this morning to please take the Bible, your Bible, the holy text of Scripture this morning, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. We've taken a, a couple-month reprieve from our study through Romans, through the Christmas Advent season, and we've been studying through different Christmas perspectives, um, particularly the last two weeks. We've kind of transitioned from Christmas into the new year, closing out 2021, heading into 2022 with the words of reality and comfort from the prophet Isaiah. So if you were with us last week, as we started into this wonderful study, clinging to Christ through unsettling times, we were in Isaiah chapter 9, we studied this verse, and we just kind of talked of this last week, more of a summarized service last week. We had wonderful meditation based on these truths. Isaiah says this, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is referring to prophecy of Jesus Christ to happen 700 years later. And here's the description. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to unfold it, uphold it, sorry, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And who did this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and meditate on these truths. My heart has been so encouraged remembering this week that we serve a Christ who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Today we will be continuing our discussion in Isaiah, but we're going to spend a bit more time considering the background. Sometimes we like to take our lives and we just like to plant them right into the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, plant them really anywhere in Scripture. And we fail to realize there's actually a narrative going on. There's a story going on. There's a, a background to these texts that we study. And we really today want to spend more time, so probably about half of our time together today, we're going to be kind of unfolding the history behind this passage. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when you look at the historical context, this means so much to us. I was just talking and praying with our young adults group. And I was saying, man, this was written almost 3,000 years ago, but it's like it was written today. This is so appropriate. Nonetheless, we need to go back and kind of see what was said. And I hope you brought your thinking caps on, put your thinking caps on, brought your brains to church today with you, because uh, we're going to get through this. And we're going to dig in and drive hard. Um, and this, I'm going to introduce a lot of stuff today that I pray that God would give you the grace to go through this week and to study and to meditate on these truths. We're going to meditate this morning, by God's grace, on this stabilizing truth, the same one we looked at last week, and here it is. As we per persevere through unsettling times, we must cling to the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. In other words, God has us here right now for a reason. As I mentioned last week, how many times in the last year or two, I've thought, man, if I could just have been raised in the frontier days, I could have fit so much better then, the pioneer days, I love that pioneer spirit, if I could have been raised in a different time period, but then I've been overwhelmed with this thought is, no, Andrew, God wants you here, 2021, 2022, he has every single one of us right here, right now, for a reason, and that is to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to show it and to share it, and to cling to the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so that is what we're talking about in the unsettling times we live in 
by God's grace, that is very important, by God's grace, clinging to Jesus Christ. I want us to start this morning with these helpful considerations. Like I said, we're just going to jump right in, so hopefully uh, you're ready. What is going to help us to understand these texts in Isaiah? A lot of times around Christmas time, we just love quoting Isaiah 9, 6. We love going to Isaiah 7. But what's happening in this time period? Well, I think the best way to start is sometimes, even as the first Sunday of this year, is sometimes taking that 30,000 foot view and remind ourselves where we're at in the scriptures. So you can actually turn your hand out over if you'd like and look at this. Just a quick reminder of God's redemptive plan through the Old Testament. What has God done through the Old Testament? Well, by the time we get to Isaiah, we have already obviously been through the creation account. And I'm just going to overview these. The creation of the universe by the direct act of Almighty God that has happened in the beginnings of your Bible. My friends, do not doubt this fact. This is the fact that we must hold on to with all we have because this starts our trust of this God all the way through the scriptures. Well, I'm not here, though, this morning to preach on the creation, Um, but just to acknowledge this is the foundation of our belief system, our biblical worldview. And then where do we head from here? In the scriptures, in the first five chapters of the book of Genesis, we find Adam and the fall. You know the story, I hope. God in his goodness prepared a beautiful world for Adam and Eve to enjoy. But one basic rule, don't eat, don't rebel by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You remember the story, Eve was deceived by the serpent, Adam chose to rebel and sin and death entered into God's perfect creation. At this point, and I love this, Genesis chapter 3, we find the first rendering of the good news. God Almighty wouldn't just leave this world broken. He would, in fact, send a rescuer. And so, if I could stop here for a minute, the rest of the Old Testament in your Bible is pointing out clues about this rescuer. Here's more about the rescuer, and more about the rescuer, and more about the rescuer. All the way through the Old Testament of your Bible. And we try to talk of that often. But in overview, then we come to another highlight through the scriptures, Genesis 6 through 8. Noah and the universal flood. And from that comes the dispersion. Remember where you're at in Scripture. After that comes Abraham and God's people. What are we talking about? The establishment of God's people through the patriarchs. God chose Abraham to be his people out of the nations. From there, we travel to Moses and the Exodus. Again, a lot of stuff's happening between this. (laughs) But Moses and the Exodus, God's people are led, led out of bondage and back toward the land of promise through Moses. However, Moses cannot enter into the land of promise because of his doubt and disobedience. But then this leads us to whom? Joshua. I love the story of Joshua. And towards the end of the sermon today, we're actually going to reference back to some of what Joshua has said. But Joshua and the conquest of the land that was promised to Abraham. God's people are stuck in a cycle of struggle after this. You remember this. Joshua and the people of God mostly conquer the land of promise. And we see that mostly come out in the struggles of the judges. This endless, it seems, struggle of what? The cycle of rebellion and judgment and repentance and blessing over and over and over again through the time of the judges. Leading us then to the plea of the people. We're sick of this cycle. And what did they cry then? We need a king. You remember this? We need a king. Just like all of these other governments, we need a dude. A king that will lead us. We're tired of this theocracy and God leading through these judges, so we need a guy. 
And so this leads us into the portion of our scripture that clearly tells us about the kings and their failures. And I'm going to say this. Every single one of the kings, even the good ones, so you have a group of good ones, like a handful of good ones, and a massive basket of bad ones who won't trust God. They trust in the gods of the nations, the pagan gods of the nations. That's where they landed. But even for the the good ones, the handful of good ones, the scriptures through the Spirit of God takes particular time to prove that every single one of these dudes has a problem. He's a failure. He is not the eternal king. Yet, we're promised that the eternal king would come through the line of whom? David. And so as you go through, and we'll see this theme today somewhat, You go through, especially the prophets, you find over and over again of the promise of the house of David. The house of David. God is fulfilling His promise. So even though these kings fail, the promise still exists. But then, just like in the garden when Adam and Eve failed to trust God and rebelled against Him, just like they were kicked out of the garden, God's people through the middle to the end of your Old Testaments, you find that they are kicked out of the land of promise. This is the time of exile. Through the times of the kings in 930 B.C., we find this massive split between the kingdom of Israel. After Saul and David and Solomon, you find this split. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The house of David is Judah in the south. But then tragedy. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom falls hard to Assyria. In 586, the completion of the southern kingdom falling hard to Babylon. Kicked out of the land of promise. The land of promise that Moses led the people to the brink of. Joshua fought for. Promised to Abraham. The judges helped people struggle through. The kings guided this land now lost. But not completely. Why? Because God in His grace allows His people to come back to return to the land. My friends, that's the Old Testament right there. That is the story of the Old Testament of your scriptures. Okay, so you're like, Pastor, I thought you had us turn to Isaiah. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Where's Isaiah on that map? Could you put him somewhere on that map? I'll tell you where he is. There. <laughs> all right, as you work through all of this, he's towards the, old, the end of what we find in Old Testament history. So we're right around 740 B.C. He ministered for 40 years from 740 B.C. to 700 B.C. This guy, Isaiah, ministered. And we'll get to him in his life in just a minute. In fact, we'll do it right now. Not only must we consider the redemptive plan of Old Testament, let's think about the background and ministry of this dude, Isaiah, this prophet of God, this godly man. Isaiah was a prophet of Yahweh, like I said, for 40 years. He ministered in, if you think about that break, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Some of you, this might be new news. That's okay. Just realize that God's hand was on the southern kingdom. Clearly, the northern kingdom defected big time. God still promoted his plan through the Davidic covenant in the southern kingdom. That is Judah. So Isaiah ministered primarily and almost exclusively, really, to the southern kingdom. He ministered, as you see in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, through the time of four kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Isaiah's name means the Lord is salvation, and that is exactly... What, is I, what Isaiah proclaimed. He condemned empty ritualism and pagan idolatry while he promoted a justice and hope that is only found in God's plan through Christ. And I might just pause right there. What if we embrace that kind of a ministry strategy? By God's grace, em- condemning empty ritualism and pagan idolatry but promoting a justice and a hope that is only found in God's plan through Jesus Christ. 
His message was twofold, as I just mentioned. It was impending discipline from God for ignoring his, holy, his holiness and his goodness. So he would proclaim, and I love this, even in the first five chapters of Isaiah, you find like this judgment, this, you find it with the word woe, this woe on Israel, on Judah. But then you'll find a little snippet of hope. This is so good. Over and over again, woe, this discipline and this judgment is coming, but there's hope. There's hope coming. So he taught this message of discipline and restoration, future restoration by God through the promised rescuer for a remnant of believing Jews and a gathering of believing Gentiles from the nations. If you want to find yourself in the Old Testament, go to Abraham's covenant and go to Isaiah because Isaiah says that this Christ will be a light to the nations to the Gentiles and my brothers and sisters in Christ who have come to Jesus Christ and save in faith, we are the nations who have seen that light by God's grace. In Isaiah 7 and 8, so right now your Bibles have been sitting so patiently, calmly for the last 15 minutes in Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7 and 8, we won't dig in quite yet, just referencing it. Keep reminding you, we'll get there. In Isaiah 7 and 8, we find this wonderful portion. All right, so all of these oracles and these woes by Isaiah. Normally you don't find this by the prophets and their prophecies, but you find two chapters that give us a historical setting. And it's very important that we understand this historical setting. This is a story. In Isaiah 7 and 8, we find this historic interlude to Isaiah's ministry and in this, we find the unsettling times that Isaiah ministered in. Let's just take a minute and acknowledge who Isaiah was ministering to and what he was dealing with. These unsettling times dealt specifically with God's people rebelling against God's holiness. And, and I'm going to close this up in just a minute. I'll kind of bring some practicality to this in just a minute. Every single one of these struggles that we're going to look at right now uh, for the next five minutes or so, maybe 50 minutes, <laughs> but for the next five minutes we're going to look at these struggles that they're going through. I'm going to tell you, these struggles are struggles that we're going through right now. Let's look at these struggles. God's people were, were rebelling against God's holiness. This is found clearly in the first five chapters. You see this on your handout. The first five chapters of Isaiah. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to go through the first five chapters of Isaiah, but I would like to read Isaiah 1, verses 2 through 4. Would you just listen? And maybe you can turn there. But Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to the state of the union for Israel. Here it is. Hear, O heavens, and give earth, or give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. The irony of that abounds. Why? Because who was Isaiah to speak to? Judah and Israel. It's almost like the promise came to life that they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah. So who does Isaiah cry out to? The heavens and the earth. Would someone just listen to me? Hear, O heavens, and give, earth, uh, give ear, O earth. Verse 2 of chapter 1. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up. That's that whole flow of the Old Testament. I've brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. And then he uses two wonderful metaphors to this rebellion. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. They even Animals know better than this. They know who their master is. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. And here it is. Kind of summarizing the whole state of the union for Israel. Israel as a whole. Israel and Judah, north and south. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. This is who Isaiah is ministering to. 
Simply this, God's people has forsaken true worship. They had abandoned lives of holiness. They had conceded to godlessness. They had embraced pagan practices. God's people had rebelled against God. They were a spiritual train wreck mess. And they were on the brink of utter destruction. A massive part of this comes in the next point to be made. The unsettling times for Isaiah come to fall on the shoulders of these leaders. God's leaders were compromising. And I might add, compromising is a lightweight word to what they were doing. In the northern kingdom of Israel, you had this dude named Pekah, King Pekah. He was a mess. Completely abandoned God and he actually was making alliances with godless nations, particularly the one that we're going to see in a minute is Syria. He couldn't trust God. He'd given over to idols, and so he made an alliance with Syria. Then in the southern kingdom, you have King Ahaz. He was of the house of David, of the line of David, but he was an absolute disgrace to God's holiness. Just listen to his description, and, and I'll just read this. Here's Ahaz. This is the king in Isaiah 6 and 7 who, who Isaiah is ministering to. Directly to this guy. Here's the guy. Uh, 2 Kings 16, 1 through 4 gives us more explanation. Also 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4. But read, just listen as I read this. In the 17th year of Pekah, he's the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Listen to this description of Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Israel or in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God and his father da as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of the north, Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So he was consumed with pagan idolatry and godless sacrifices, even his own son. And it got so bad that he didn't care about the worship of the temple. In fact, what did he do with the prestigious ornaments of the temple, the worship to Yahweh? It's found in verse 8 of 2 Kings 16. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and he sent as a present to the king of Assyria. What? Again, King Ahaz, the direct king whom Isaiah is working with, was an absolute disgrace to God's holiness. God's kingdom was being governed by knuckleheads. <laughs> Godless kings. But it wasn't just the God's people were rebelling and God's leaders were compromising. It all came to head when you see what happens in the context of Isaiah 6 and 7. Godless nations were threatening. Um, this is found directly in Isaiah 7, 1 and 2. You can see it as in the passage we're about to study right now. But rather than go there, I want us to think about 2 Kings 16, 5 through 9. I believe I'm, I, maybe I didn't do this. Put this on the back of your handout. But I'll just read this about these godless nations, because there's something happening here. The political map is going to work. All these things are, miss, are working around in 2 Kings 16, so hold on with me. Put your mind around this for just a minute, and then what we'll do is we'll look at a map in just a minute, all right? Verse 5 of 2 Kings 16, then Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, so this is the king of Israel and the king of Syria, uh, uh, of Syria. Not Assyria, Syria. <laughs> All right. They came up to wage war on Jerusalem. That's Judah. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. And then, if that wasn't worse, uh, bad enough, the Edomites came, at the end of verse 6, the Edomites came, and they dwelled in a place that was Judah's. So, time out. 
What's happening to Judah? They're being attacked from the north. They're being attacked from the south. They're just being attacked, Ahaz. So Ahaz sent messengers to this dude, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. This is the powerhouse kingdom of this time. Saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. This is despicable. Ahaz also took the gold and the silver that were found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent them as a present to the king of Assyria. Help. And the king of Assyria listened to him and the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker and he killed Rezin. Okay, what is this? Okay, well, it's time to go to a map. <laughs> Sometimes in, in studying the Old Testament, you just gotta go like, what? let's go to a map. I think this helps. This is Judah. This is King Ahaz's territory. This is the southern kingdom. But what's happening to King Ahaz? Well, globally at this time, well, regionally in the Fertile Crescent here, on the other side of the rivers, the Euphrates and Tigris River, you have Assyria. This was the powerhouse nation of this time. They were threatening everybody. But then, more regionally, right above Judah, you find these two countries, godless countries, Syria and Israel. This is the northern kingdom, also known as Ephraim. Israel, King Pekah, King Rezin. And what did they do? They combine in an alliance and they start attacking Judah. And so what does Judah do according to this text? He flees up to Assyria and says, help! My friends, this is the context of Isaiah 7.14. And why is this so important? Because Isaiah looks at King Ahaz and says, why are you going to that king? Why are you making alliances with that king? Do you not know? Emmanuel! God is with us, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So why on earth are you going to T.P.? Tiglath-Pileser, the third, when you can be trusting in, as the house of David in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the promise of Isaiah, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's make this practical for us. I think it's very interesting. I'm going to back up just a bit. When we think about these problems. I mean, sure, we, we need to acknowledge this. Sure, we live in different times. This is almost 3,000 years ago. And we ha are not a theocracy. Please understand that. The United States of America is not a theocracy. Neither is it the house of David. So we can't just take ourselves and be like, yeah, plant ourselves in the Old Testament. That is not who we are. We are not Judah, but we would be foolish not to see the similarities in our own world right now. What am I talking about? God's people rebelling against God's holiness. I'm talking about so-called Christians. We're talking about a world full uh, of what might be known as cultural Christians. Really, as James identifies them, they're unbelievers. These cultural Christians who completely ignore God's plan and God's holiness. They have tagged themselves in somehow by name only, but James says, you are not a true possessor, you are a false professor. God's people were rebelling so-called Christians in our culture right now. I'm absolutely astounded. Honestly, thinking through this this week, even with, I can't, I'll tell you what, I can't get through studying for Sunday without tears coming to my eyes as I sit there and think about what's happening, but then tears of joy coming to my eyes too because I know the hope that's found in Christ. But this, astound, I'm astounded by what has been allowed and excused in the life of Jesus' people. Godless moral allowances, godless talk, godless gestures, all of the above for people who call themselves Jesus' people. 
God's people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are rebelling. <laughs> God's leaders are compromising. What are you talking about? Leaders, spiritual leaders who have watered down the truth of the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ, exchanged the true depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes the bad news and the good news that we've been looking at in Romans. And they've exchanged this for some pretty stories, pretty entertainment, shows that will draw crowds to get some kind of a Jesus high. Leaders have made compliance, or really what they've done is completely abandoned compliance to God's word and made it optional. This week, if you want to do this and follow Jesus and feel the Jesus thing, then you can comply. No, no, no. It's not optional. Obey God's word. Leaders have compromised on biblical sexuality, have conceded to the gender revolution, not all, but some have ignored the unjust murdering of unborn children. I'm astounded thinking about even religious movements that have gotten behind this. Leaders have focused on building kingdom churches with amazing programs and have abandoned the sick, the starving, the hurting, the needy. We've been distracted from the gospel by our preferred movement. Whatever movement you want to embrace. And I'm not standing here in judgment because I struggle with the temptations of these things. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we see a world unfolding around us with leaders that have compromised. In all of this, God's church is under attack. Similar to what was happening to Israel and Judah. If you doubt this, just think about what has happened the last two years in Asia, Southeast Asia, Africa, North America. The impending persecution of God's church. So if we think that we don't relate in any way to what's happening in Isaiah, we're wrong. Sure, we're not in the exact same context, but we see expressions of this all around us every single day. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in unsettling times. As we launch into 2022, it's not with this carefree idea that nothing bad's happening. No, this world is a mess. And so then, how do we respond? Followers of Jesus Christ, how are you to respond? Well, I think we can glean from the truths and the ministry philosophy of Isaiah in a couple areas particularly, and I want to point out these areas right now. Just like Isaiah responded, he talks of this. Isaiah ministered by urging God's people to fearlessly stand in the face of opposition. Yes! Okay, so we live in a broken world of problems, but God put us here. I love how this is said by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. So we're going to kind of be in Isaiah 7 and, 7 and 8. Yes, the history is being unfolded. Oh, but there's such rich ministry food here. Isaiah 7, 4, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Isaiah is to tell Ahaz, don't faint, dude. Stand on the God of Israel. Don't compromise. Simply be discerning, don't panic, don't fret, and don't quick. What does this resound? A minute ago, we walked through the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, what did jo God say to Joshua in Joshua 1? You know the story. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, if you jump into the New Testament, this is the same thing that Paul is saying to New Covenant believers. Uh, what does he say to Timothy? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. 
What does it say in Ephesians chapter 6? I love this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand. My brothers and sisters in Christ, as we head into 2022, let us realize by God's grace that we as God's people are to fearlessly stand in the face of opposition. Isaiah ministered by urging God's people to fearlessly stand in the face of opposition, but he also ministered by motivating God's people to fully trust in God's plan. And I love this, because now, throughout 7 and 8, we're going to find one word, and that is the word Emmanuel. And it's not hidden in the scriptures what this word means. We find this in Matthew chapter 1. Remember this? Emmanuel means what? God with us. We're going to find this three times through this text. God is with us. We find this in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. So as promised at the beginning of the Old Testament, God would provide a rescuer. And who is the rescuer that God's going to provide? Himself. That's the beauty of Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh. Sure, there is a strong possibility as you go through this text of a near far fulfillment to this prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. A lot has been written about that. I think in uh, Old Testament theology class, we spent like an old day talking about that. <laughs> Maybe this prophecy. The near-far possibility and other people thinking, no, it's just about Christ. Whatever the case is, there's a strong possibility of this near-far prophecy, but the clear prophetic weight of this verse falls directly on the shoulders of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, born 700 years after this prophecy. Emmanuel, God with us. And what's the point? Through the unsettling times, we must cling to Emmanuel. As we saw last week, we must cling to the fact that this Emmanuel in chapter 9, clearly talking of Christ, is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Throughout Isaiah, especially the last third of the book, if you want encouragement, go to the last part of Isaiah. It starts out in verse chapter 40. Maybe just write down Isaiah 40. We studied this a year and a half ago when we were starting into this COVID thing. Remember this? Isaiah 40. Comfort, my people. Comfort. Where are we going to find comfort in unsettling times, my friends? It is on the shoulders of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. As you expose the teachings of Isaiah, you find there's four primary things. These aren't in your notes. Four primary areas of ministry for Jesus Christ that Isaiah highlights. Here's what he highlights, and I'll just mention them. He highlights that Jesus Christ is the light of the nations. Chapter 42, chapter 49. He is the light of the nations who will shatter the sinful darkness through his new covenant. Jesus Christ. Not only is he a light to the nations, he is a suffering servant who will take man's iniquities on himself. The greatest passage, I believe, in all of the Old Testament is Isaiah 53, showing us that Jesus took on himself our sins. Not only is he the light of the nations and the suffering servant, he is the powerful warrior who will flex the arm of the Lord Read Isaiah 59 and 63, and on top of all of that, he is the eternal king who will reign and rule eternally. Brothers and sisters, 2022, in front of us, unsettling times, what are we to do? Cling to Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. Two more quick observations. Isaiah ministered by urging God's people to fearlessly stand, motivating God's people to fully trust in God's plan. But also, as I just mentioned, he mixes warnings with comfort through the book of Isaiah. So we cannot ignore this warning. And what is the warning? 
He warns God's people of destruction from misguided trust. In other words, godless alliances, which is a huge theme in the book of Isaiah, godless alliances will bring you destruction. Uh, chapter 8 of Isaiah is hugely complex. I'm not going to walk all the way through Isaiah chapter 8, but I do want to read a short portion, Isaiah chapter 8, 5 through 8. Listen as this is spoken of in metaphor. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently. Time out. What is that? Okay, this is referring to what's known as the Gihon, Gihon Spring that supplied water to Jerusalem from God. This was God's provision of water to Jerusalem. He says, because you have refused this wonderful spring, what's going to happen to you? Verse 7, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, the Euphrates River and it is going to flood you. Because you have refused this Savior, Jesus Christ, and you've made alliances with those on the river, across the river, what's going to happen? This metaphor, the rivers are going to flood you, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. It's in the text. Oh, God with us. You ever just shake your head and go like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? What is this? The godless nation that Israel trusted in the irony of this, the godless nation that Israel trusted in would be the godless nation that would overtake Israel. You see that? Practically just over a hundred years after this, Ahaz, the Assyria that Ahaz trusted in, even though it looked a bit different through Babylon, the Assyria that Ahaz trusted in for an alliance became the country that God used to flood Judah with destruction. Remember the whole context? Ahaz running to Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, and saying, Help! Isaiah said, Why are you going there for help? Go to God for help! The ungodly, the godless alliance that Ahaz made was, became the country that destroyed Isaiah's plea is don't put your trust in godless alliances. Ahaz, don't align your life with godliness. Why? The godlessness you trust in will end up destroying you. Right, just a quick practical time out here and we need to move on. My friends, that's all the way through the epistles of the Old Testament, uh, New Testament. Don't make alliances with the sin of this world. Why? It'll find you out. Sure, your sin will find you out. What you sow, you will reap. Let's go on to one other theme of Isaiah's ministry that we can embrace now is this. Urging God's people to fearlessly stand, to fully trust in God's people, warning against destruction, but then this. Encouraging God's people that God will get the final word. My friends, let us hold to this with all we have. When God's people and God's leaders and God's churches are being attacked, guess what? Who gets the final word? God does. <laughs> through whom? Jesus. If you want a blessing this week, read through the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, and you're going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back to set all this nonsense straight. I believe you see this in chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, highlighted so well where Isaiah says this, be broken. It's almost like he's taunting the nations that rebel against God and godlessness. He says, be broken, you peoples. Look out, here it comes. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. He's, and then he says the phrase twice. Strap on your armor and be shattered. 
And if you didn't get it the first time, strap on your armor and be shattered. It says it twice. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. Why, my friends? For God is with us. Emmanuel. Three times in this text, through unsettling times, God is with us. This is proof that through Christ, God and his remnant of faithful worshipers will prevail even though a lot of flex was happening from Assyria and Syria and Ephraim and Edom and Egypt, through Emmanuel, God Almighty will get the final word. You want a blessing, go to the book of Isaiah and highlight how many times the day of the Lord is mentioned. The Lord is not silent. He promises that His day will come. God's righteous justice will be known. My friends, how does all of this come together? Everything that Isaiah says is inseparable from one person. Emmanuel, God with us. The promise of a rescuer. So what? You said a lot of words today. If you're visiting with us here today, I'm so glad you're here. There's a lot of full throttle stuff today. But what? So what? Anytime we end a sermon, we want to say so what because... We can't just take it here from your seat. We want it to go out the door with you, into your car with you, and through your week with you. Through your unsettling times, my friends. Talking about 2021 turning into 2022. The question is this. Will you cling to Emmanuel? God with us. How? How? By fearlessly standing in the face of godless opposition. By fully trusting God's plan for Emmanuel. By refusing to put your trust in godless alliances with sin. By being encouraged that Christ, through Christ, God will get the final word. My friend, I don't know what you have gone through this last year. I know what some of you have gone through. I don't know what you might be going through right now. Certainly, I do not know, neither do you, what you will go through in 2022, but I know this. If you are in Christ, you can depend on Emmanuel, God with us. Through 2022, you can cling to this. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So God, that is the cry of our hearts this very day. I want to thank you for how appropriate your word is to today. I pray for us as worshipers today that we would find solace in Jesus Christ, our refuge and strength in time of need, God, I pray for those here today that may be wrestling through their relationship with you through Jesus Christ. They know a lot of these facts, but they've never placed their faith and trust in Christ. Oh God, I pray that this would be that day. I'm assured, Father, that there's those here in this room, even through conversations I've had this today, that are struggling. Not knowing what's coming around the corner loved ones in hospitals, others being buried, jobs teetering, finances struggling, retirement plans on edge. All of these things, God, oh God, I pray that you would give us grace to hold on to Emmanuel, God with us. That we will stand fearlessly in this world. Because you have not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Oh God, I pray that you would give us grace to not make alliances with sin, to compromise in sin in our own lives, to doubt your goodness and run to sin. God, give us grace not to do that. 
Let us trust fully your plan of Emmanuel, realizing that you, Father, will get the final word. Thank you for the time we could spend today in your word. My friends here today, there are some of you, as just, I just prayed, that may be wrestling through this concept of your relationship with God. I'm going to tell you there's nothing you can do to build a relationship with God. It is only of God's grace. And Scripture says it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You were born into this world not as a generally good person. No, you were born as a broken sinner. And God in His grace sent Jesus Christ to go to the cross as your substitute. My friend, if you've never placed your faith and trust in this Christ, would today be this day? What, a, what better of a thing to do as you enter into 2022 than run to Jesus? Place your, sa- place your faith in the one who can save your soul. I'll be hanging around here in the foyer and around this auditorium. There'll be chaplains that, when we end the songs. They'll be standing at the front. Different elders and other ones will be standing in this auditorium. I would encourage you, do not go home without settling this whole issue of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. Those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, would you pray that through the unsettling times of this next year, that you would trust in Jesus Christ. His plan for your life and His plan for eternity. So God, we thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. Even though it was a little longer of a time heading into this new year, I pray that you would use it in our lives to encourage us to cling to Christ with everything we have. Thanks again for the time we could spend today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the listening ear today, especially as we went a little longer. We could have gone another two hours, so you can take encouragement in that. Um, We're going to close out with a song of praise to Almighty God. I'm going to invite you to stand. Some of you came today ready to start off the new year by sharing of your resources. We're not going to pass any offering plates. Uh, There are boxes in the back if you'd like to worship through sharing of your resources. Um, But let's close out with a song of praise to Almighty God. And let us go our ways encouraged in Emmanuel, God with us.